Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus again this morning. Good to see all of you here. House well filled. I was thinking maybe I'll make a few comments on the Sunday school before I go into, on with the, into the message. The, um, I was uh, sitting there thinking about some things and wasn't sure if I could pull them together from my seat there. But anyhow, the, so I'll make a few comments before I go into the message. Um, there's different ways you can look at, at Romans 2, 1, verse 1, and some of these other verses we looked at. And, and uh, it says different, there's different messages that come across to us, and we've been... We've been, uh, what I'm going to say was almost said in our discussion. I'm just probably just going to clarify it a little bit um, and maybe flesh it out a little more. One of the things that, you, that comes out of Romans 2 verse 1 <clears throat> where it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself. So let's picture a people group who have never had a Bible in their hands, never read a Bible, never heard it. And let's say there's a, a gentleman there, has a family of several children, and uh, he's been raising his, uh, he's got this hog he's been raising for his family, and uh, they've got a butcher and they planned this, this, uh, this is going to be their meat for the next year. And uh, the the, the, during the night, the day before butchering, a neighbor comes and takes off with this hog and, and steals the thing and t- takes it. And, and so what happens the next morning when this uh, gentleman gets up and goes out with his gun and knife to start this work on the hog and the hog pen is empty? You think this gentleman is going to have some real glorious flowery feelings about the situation? Probably not. He's probably going to be upset. He's probably not going to be happy. He's going to wonder who did it. He's going to start examining and, if, and he might even see some tracks going to the neighbor and he, he, might, uh, he might decide that uh, as he examines the evidence that it must have been the neighbor. And you all know that most likely he is not going to be happy with his neighbor. Why not? What did he read that told him that it was wrong for his neighbor to take that hog from him? He probably didn't read anything. It's just in us, isn't it? There's something in us that knows that... uh, this is mine, and you take it, you don't... It's just in us. Nobody has to tell us that, do they? It's just in us. Okay, so this gentleman whose hog was stolen, 
Now he is upset, and in his mind and in his heart, he is he, he's getting angrier by the minute. And he's he's ready to get uh, to go after his neighbor. Now, what is happening here? This individual, by his angry thoughts and his angry responses, has just stated his own understanding of the wrongness of stealing. He has just established the law by which he himself will be judged. He has just declared that I understand that stealing is a terrible thing and a person should never do it by his own response to having been stolen from, he has established his own law of judgment that would eventually judge him. You follow that? And you can say that about any, you know, you can go into the jungle heathen land and a man can uh, mess with another man's wife and that man will, owner of the wife, or he'll come with his knife and he'll be an angry tyrant. And there he has just established the fact that he understands that it's a wrong thing to mess with another man's wife. And he is inexcusable. From that point on, he has established his understanding and he is inexcusable. Though he's never read a Bible. Now, you also have over there in... Uh, these are just some of my thoughts. I'm not saying, uh, as far as what I, what I'm, some of what I'm going to say here. In verse 15, 14, 15, having not the law, are law unto themselves. Now let's say you do have this gentleman who understands that um, what we just described, he understands that it's, it's wrong to steal, but he never read a Bible. He, he understands that there's that thing of ownership. It's just there. But he never read a Bible. But he understands it. And so he doesn't go steal because he understands that if someone would steal from him, it, would, it don't feel right. And so he, based on that understanding, doesn't go steal from, doesn't practice stealing himself because he understands that. Uh, I think that's some of what could be being said here, that there are those who understand that concept in life and choose not to steal because they understand that it's, it's just, it's not right, even though they never read a Bible, even though the, their particular town might not have a law against it, uh, which most probably do. Maybe that's a little bit what's happening there uh, in in verse uh, 14 and 15 there, I'm not sure. Could be. Not saying that any of those things, uh, or particularly there in verse 14 or 15, not saying that, that because a person having an understanding of, of, of not, that stealing is wrong and therefore not stealing, not saying that those things save them. But just giving recognition to something that's at work there. Uh, but I do believe, I do believe that uh, the heathen will be judged and might not just stop at the heathen, but 
though they will have, many of them will have established their own uh, law by which they will be judged based on how they responded when they were misused in life. Because their response indicated they understood it was wrong, and then they went out and did the same thing. And therefore, there's no excuse, because they understood it and were angry when someone else did it. <clears throat> so, um, hope I didn't bore you with that. There's another, uh, the thought of judging came up. And I, I'm not exactly sure if we determined what type of judgment we were actually talking about there. I know there were some different thoughts thrown around. But I'm going to just very briefly make a comment on that. Then we'll try to go on with the message. Okay, see if I can find my scripture here. I'm going to read verse uh, 18 of Matthew, uh, verse, seven, verse 17 of Matthew 18. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Is that judging? I think we all would have to say it is. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now the context there uh, is the matter of the church arriving at a conclusion. Probably what the Bible warns us a lot and where we are often guilty is where we personally one-on-one judge situations and people and matters and often, like Alan said, having limited understanding, limited perspective, limited knowledge. But there is, for without a doubt, and judgment, judging means different things. There's, but when it comes to actually, as you would say, lower the boom. Declare a man a heathen and a publican. Uh, put him out from among you, as the scripture says. Those kind of judgments shouldn't be being made one-on-one. Me to you as an individual. Should be something that the church body works through and finally arrives at that conclusion for whatever reason. <clears throat> All right. That said, I think we'll... <laughs> Try to move on. Maybe, maybe I should open up for questions. Maybe I'd never get to my message. Huh? <laughs> okay, maybe we could uh, stand together and uh, just take a moment and pray. Our Father, our God, again, thank you. Thank you today for this assembly. Thank you for all that are present here. Thank you for the things that we've heard so far discussions we were able to have. Thank you for the Word of God, to be able to have it in our midst and, and to read it and try to endeavor to understand it. Thank you. Again, Father, bless us this time as we look into the Word. Pray again that uh, 
that you would give freedom of thought and, and clarity of thought, Father, that uh, we could share a few more truths from the Word of God. Bless each one present and those that are not present with us today who would desire to be here. Bless them, keep them all. May you be honored, may you be glorified here in this service, Lord. May you be exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. I have uh, a message here that uh, I reworked it a bit, but it was, I preached this message in... 1998. So I wonder how many of you might remember. How many of you remember my illustration? I actually have the same illustration that I had back in 1998. Now, how did that happen? I'm not sure. Same hinge. Same Same one. (laughs) It's a hinge. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't remember why I got it, and I used part of it. And uh, I remember using it for an illustration and... You know, this thing survived in my shop 22 years. Now, you can tell you one thing. My wife didn't clean out my shop. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have it anymore. She would have, she'd, she'd hang things on certain hooks, and if they're still there a month later, they weren't used, out they go. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it's a little bit dirty. But uh, somehow I didn't find a use for it since. Today's title is Balancing Truth with, with Truth. Um, and we're going to, I've been in the book of James, and some of this message, will. Uh, there's at least a point or two that will come from James, but not, uh, not all of it. Um, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll just set this aside a few moments while we get uh, a little groundwork laid here. So Second Timothy is a familiar scripture. Second uh, Timothy two fifteen. Uh, just a few introductory introductory verses here. Says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and uh, that uh, the word dividing it gives the idea of making a straight cut or dissecting uh, correctly. Dissecting correctly, you know, you you think of. Uh, um, sometimes they, they, they are slaughtering animals, they'll kind of cut them down the middle and lay them open, you know, dissect them, open them up and see what you're working with. Uh, making a straight cut, rightly dividing. Uh, Peter, in Second Peter, when we think about rightly dividing or, or properly uh, properly understanding the scriptures, um, we recognize that we can, we can uh, misunderstand the scriptures without a doubt. Uh, and that's why we're exhorted to study. Second Peter 3.14, uh, 
Peter makes this comment about Paul's writings. He says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So we have there uh, the, the recognition. Peter gives recognition to the fact that Paul in his epistles, he speaks of these things, and, he, and Peter gives recognition that some of these things are hard to be understood. In other words, uh, just a light general reading does not give you the sense of what is being communicated. And we understand that, I, I believe, uh, all of us here, we know that the Scripture is not just a, a book of, of light, shallow reading. It's, it's a book of depth. It's a book of concepts. It's a book that requires study and searching and, uh, and an effort made to understand what, uh, what is trying to be communicated. And like he says here, that uh, they which are unlearned and unstable rest. In other words, they twist. They uh, turn them. They uh, might... Uh, and we, we know that. We know that happens a lot in, in, in our world uh, where scriptures are made to say things that they don't really say. They, you know, it's not hard to take and even find sometimes several scriptures that nicely fit into what I want to believe and put together a package that communicates what I want it to say. Uh, that's not that difficult to do. And we are warned against that. And that is considered uh, resting the scriptures. Uh, making them say something that they don't say. Um, and uh, therefore we are exhorted to study, to, to dig in, to compare Scripture with Scripture to get a, a uh, correct understanding. <clears throat> In Matthew 3, no, Matthew 13, uh, Jesus gives some similar thoughts. Matthew 13 First of all, verse 3 it says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, in verse 3 of Matthew 13. And then when we, when we jump over to verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And Jesus' response, he answers and says unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not, and, and hearing 
because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And he goes on and has some more things to say about that. But So there, there we have Jesus, uh, he's, speak, he's speaking in parables and he gives the reason for it, uh, that uh, truth, you know, truth is, even in Jesus, in his teachings, he didn't just... Um, Try to say things in the plainest, simplest language so every person could grasp it. He spoke in parables. He spoke, in, in, he spoke a message that communicated a message, but you had, to, you had to connect the dots. You had to think through it. You had to ask yourself, what is he trying to teach me from this lesson? You know, just like the sowing. You know, uh, a sower went out to sow. Okay, and he goes down through and... And you had to ask yourself, what is Jesus trying to communicate to us, to me? And that's the type of uh, method he used a lot. And the reason for it uh, is actually stated here. He says, unto you it is given to know the mysteries but not, uh, of the kingdom of heaven, but not to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. And it's like where a person uh, gets a little bit of some uh, a little bit of information about God and what he does with that little bit of information determines whether he will get more information and what he does with that determines whether he gets more and so on and what Jesus was saying to these uh, disciples is that you have you know when the first piece of information came you responded to it and, uh, and you, are, you are continuing to open your heart to it and so I'm speaking to you in this way and you are responding to it, and you're getting the sense of it, and I'm explaining it to you. But for those who have not responded, they, uh, to, to, to the first piece of information, they're not going to get the rest. Uh, at least not until they start uh, responding to what uh, they've already uh, been given, is the sense of it uh, that it seems to be giving there. So the... The uh, just the, again, just kind of laying a groundwork for the idea of uh, endeavoring to understand the Word of God and 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 it's and and what is trying to be communicated to us, uh, and the the importance of trying to understand that, to try to understand it correctly, um, to study, to divide. Uh, the word of God, the word of truth, to divide it correctly, to, uh, to try to understand what is being communicated. I have probably about five or six points here we'll consider, uh, but uh, there would, I'm sure there would be lots more. So the first one that uh, we'd like to compare truth to truth a bit is... Uh, Paul's teaching of justification by faith alone and James's teaching that faith without works is dead. Uh, and there's different ways that those verses, uh, that the scriptures would convey those two concepts. Uh, let's turn to Romans 4, verse 16. Or rather, verse, verse 1 to 16, Romans 4.
And there are numerous verses we could look at. Um, I think I'll just start in verse 1 of Romans 4 here and, and uh, try to note a few of the uh, statements that uh, Paul, Paul makes. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh the is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now we could, if we'd stop there just a moment, if we would just take verse 4 and 5 there, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If we just took those verses out of the context and, and built ourselves a nice doctrine with them, we could come up with something that would eliminate works pretty well. And we, can, we could go and find even some more scriptures to, to put to it. That, that wouldn't be a problem. We could find them. They would be there. Um, so then reading on. Uh, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man unto to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned, when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the faith, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might, that righteousness not, might be imputed unto them also. And the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they, had, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. <clears throat> and if we were to turn over to Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, you, you have those kind of scriptures. You have in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained unto them, before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Again, uh, the second verse, verse 10 there clarifies it a bit, but verse 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you just added that to several of those verses there in Romans uh, 4, uh, it would just strengthen your, your uh, position and, uh, and there would probably be others. But, like it says there in verse 10 of, of Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Uh, let's go now to, so we've looked at the one side, we've looked at Paul's teaching of justification by faith alone. Uh, let's look at James's words in James 2. We'll begin in verse 14, and I think I'll just read to the end of the chapter, maybe making a few comments as we go. So now we have James speaking. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, if we uh, went back to Romans, we might answer yes. <laughs> Let's read on. If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give, not, give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So he's using a natural illustration to help us understand this spiritual truth. If, uh, yeah, so he's basically saying, we've, uh, we've said to the person, Be ye warmed and filled. We've made some kind of a pronouncement, some kind of a profession toward them. And then we go our way. We do nothing. Does that do anything for them? The bottom line is they're still naked and they're still hungry. Uh, anyhow, let's read on. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Now we really got a contradiction going, don't we? We had just read over there in Romans that this whole thing was by faith. When he offered up his son. Uh, and that whole thing. When he was justified. Anyhow, where are we at here? Um, verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that... By works, a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, now maybe we can get our illustration again. So here we have... It's a hinge, obviously. It's a different kind of hinge. Um, but we have, uh, we have a pin down the middle, and we have a piece on 
each side and, and, uh, and each of these are interwoven and connected by a center pin. And so you have, and we'll call, uh, we'll use, we have the one side over here and we have the other side over here and they're both secured firmly on that center pin. And that we'll call that center pin Jesus Christ. So we have, uh, we have uh, Paul's comments about salvation by faith and everything that he says about Abraham. And then we have James's comments and everything that he says. And some of those comments actually come, uh, come if, if you just take the individual comments, they actually, uh, uh, you could find a few that actually pretty much contradict each other. But that's not a problem. Because, uh, so let's think about truth a bit here. So there's, uh, let's think about uh, Paul's perspective. And uh, think about the, the people that need to hear Paul's perspective of the message. You know, there are those who are, uh, and there's plenty of them in life and in the world, who are tempted to trust in their works and in what they can do and in their good life and in following the church's standards and all those things. There are, there are plenty of people that uh, are tempted or maybe even more than tempted are actually parked in that spot trusting that what they are doing or at least hoping what, what they are doing will be enough that God will look upon it and accept them. And those folks need to hear Paul's message. They need to hear the message coming from that side to awaken them to the realization that they have their confidence settled in the wrong place. And so Paul's message will speak to the, those individuals. But then we have on the other side of the coin, we have those folks, and they, they, uh, they were at a, at, a, at a revival meeting back when they were 16, and they're 55 now, and living like the devil. But somehow, back there, they say they got saved. And their life shows absolutely no evidence of godliness whatsoever. And I'm using an extreme because we don't, we don't have to go near to that extreme to draw the point. But that individual needs to hear the message from James. You say you have faith. I don't see a bit of it in your life. I don't see a bit of evidence that down in your heart there is faith toward God because what's coming out of your life does not indicate anything at all of that nature. What's coming out of your life is totally the works of the flesh, the works of the devil, the works of the world. Sir, wake up. That individual needs to hear the message of James in his life. Because there's a problem, a serious problem. He says he has faith, but his faith is not producing anything of righteousness at all. <clears throat> So these two truths have no problem working together. 
James's perspective and Paul's perspective have no problem working together uh, and have no, there is no discrepancy in them. They, uh, they're coming from a different perspective. And the message, there are those that need to hear the one message. There are those that need to hear the other message. There might be times in your life where you need to hear the one message and there might be another time you need to hear the other one, right? We, we understand our hearts, our journey, our life. Uh, so there's no discrepancy. It's just uh, a matter of, of uh, yeah, what we need and when we need it. <clears throat> Our second point we like to consider is uh, the idea of election versus the free will of man. Uh, again, Romans uh, 9. We'll begin there for this one. If we read Romans 9, and we'll, we'll, we'll read some of this, uh, we could almost get the idea that we're kind of destined. <laughs> Let's read it. Verse 11, for the children, and this is talking about uh, Rebecca. For the children not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the, young, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What shall, we then, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power unto thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy upon on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wouldst, wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath the potter not power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Even, un, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now it's good he has that verse in there, or it, it, uh, that last verse, or it might be attempting to, uh, it would have, might have been a challenge for uh, the Jew to, to uh, read this and not consider the Jew the, vessel fitted unto mercy and the Gentile, the vessel fitted unto wrath. Anyhow, those, and I'm not going to claim to understand what all these verses mean, uh, but uh, these verses, without a doubt, 
need to be taken in context with other scriptures. Uh, when we read these kind of verses, they are powerful, they are strong, they say strong things. Uh, and uh, they're probably some of the things that uh, Peter was talking about when he said, hard to be understood uh, and can easily be twisted to mean something that God didn't intend. But uh, we do have uh, that perspective that is given here of uh, where God is in control and we just all kind of, uh, wherever he puts us, that's where we are. Uh, but we, we want to look beyond just this, uh, these verses here. We have in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14, says this, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that verse, uh, it kind of it, it encapsulates both. Uh, both the... The idea of God, uh, the election idea, and the free will of man. Brethren beloved, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So we have to, uh, we have to look at some of the perspectives that Scripture gives us when we think about verses like this, which kind of... Uh, would uh, would lead us to wonder if we have a chance. You know, we're just kind of destined and whatever the outcome is, is the outcome. But let's compare then other scriptures that uh, would uh, speak. Some of these are familiar. I'll just read a few. Think about Luke 11, 9 to 13. Jesus says this, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now there's a verse that goes totally on the other side. You ask, you will find. You, you knock, the door will be open. You uh, totally from a different perspective. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Matthew seven, thirteen and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, a very clear word to us that enter ye in. Something for you to do. A response required from you. You know, you're not just parked as a, as a uh, uh, destined to this or to that. You have opportunity to respond. You have opportunity to, uh, to, to act. When in, in Acts chapter 3, in the early days of the church, 
This was the message that was given to the people. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, again, the, 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 the message was put out there to the people. Repent. You've got, there's something you can do. You don't have to stay where you're at. You are not destined for hell. You are not destined to be a sinner. You can respond. You can do something about it. Repent, therefore. Revelation, let's turn to this one. Revelation 22. Near the very end of the Bible. Verses 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, there is a wide open invitation. Whosoever will. Um, so there we, there we get the idea of what comparing Scripture with Scripture is all about. You know, we don't have to figure everything out about those, that Scripture in Romans. We don't have to try to figure what does every connotation mean in that. Uh, because, and we don't have to get stuck uh, believing something that isn't really true. And so we can take other scriptures and look at them and, and get a, 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 a balancing truth with truth, getting a balanced perspective. You know, the one scripture, again, let's think about uh, why would these, and Paul had different, uh, Paul had more in mind when he wrote his things there in Romans than just what we're looking at here. That, I mean, his whole book had a, a, a message that uh, it was a package message message where everything works together. Uh, we're just looking at pieces of it. Uh, but again, think about the, what the different uh, possibilities would be in some of those scriptures. You know, the person who would squander the opportunity and think that he can respond to God whenever he's good and ready. You know, and would, uh, would like to live life a while and... And uh, I'm going to decide when I want to come to God. And for now, I'm just going to have fun. Well, Paul has some pretty blunt words to say to that person there in Romans about God and the sovereignty of God and uh, the fact that as people, we don't just do what we want to do when we want to do it. We don't just decide one day we're going to serve God now. It doesn't quite work that way. And that scripture would warn that individual that uh, you don't play with God that way. God's not a puppet where you move Him where you want Him, when you want Him. God's an authority. God's all-powerful. He is in control. And you spurn His grace for a while, and you slam uh, the, uh, the door in His face for a while, and the door just might not open again. And that's what that scripture would warn us of and, and, and speak to us about. And then we have the, on the other side, we have the, 
the person who might be timid and uh, and uh, have an extremely sensitive conscience and and uh, just yeah feel unworthy of God's goodness and grace. And then the then the, and then the scripture comes and says, "Come, whosoever will come, drink of the water of life freely." You know, it just invites and invites and invites and gives uh, lots of encouragement for it. So again, just looking at the at the two different truths and coming from a different perspective, speaking to a different need in a different individual or a similar, you know, like I said earlier, it might speak to you. One of them might speak to you today and a year from now the other one might speak to you. Coming from a different perspective. So we have those those uh, comparing scripture with scripture and uh, balancing truth with truth and getting a uh, a balanced perspective of things and avoiding taking one perspective and I was wanting to and I didn't get it done I was wanting to find me another hinge and uh, and uh, make one that has a lot of a lot on one side and just one little stubby on this side where we're hanging everything on one side, on one perspective, on one. And uh, we can do that. We can get very unbalanced in truth and our understanding of truth uh, in different points. So those were a a few of the more theological type of things. Uh, We're going to look at a few uh, more practical ones. Um, You know, there's uh, there's a scripture that speaks in, in this is in Romans or yeah Romans Ephesians six verse two and three speaks of honoring thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So we have that perspective, and then we have the words of Jesus, and uh, maybe we can I can get you to turn to that one in Luke. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So we have that verse where Jesus talks about uh, and uses the word hate. And then we have uh, Ephesians where it tells us that we are to honor our father and our mother. It's the first commandment with promise. And again, you know, there, there is there's the, the, the tendency or the possibility that we, in a time of, depending on where we find ourselves in a situation, we can easily latch on to one or the other and use it as a leverage for where we're at and what we're wrestling with in life and, and use it as a point of not obeying our parents, not honoring our parents when we should be, or we can be at a place where God is speaking to us and, and uh, we know that our parents wouldn't 
appreciate the things that God is laying on our hearts. And I'm talking about a context where uh, perhaps there's somebody has parents who are not God-fearing or they're not uh, walking with God in a sensitive way and, and, and God is working in the heart of a child and it might be a young adult and God is putting visions and burdens on their hearts and they know their parents wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't identify with those visions and burdens and and at a point like that they can in the face of decision choose to look at Ephesians and say well I need to honor my parents and just kind of park and kind of let the voice of God go oblivion in their experience both of those possibilities exist uh, and what Jesus is saying here is not that we're supposed to be hostile toward our parents. Not at all. In fact, uh, the scripture teaches totally the opposite. But he is putting priorities in order. That he is. He is putting priorities in order. And when it comes to the point where, and you know, this is tough. It really is tough because... It is so easy for our hearts to deceive ourselves and to think that we're doing right and we're doing the will of God and therefore we are justified in ignoring our parents or dishonoring them or whatever. Uh, so we, we, really, we really need to uh, be seriously sober about our hearts in these things. But there are those times when God is speaking to someone and their, uh, their, their parents or whoever may not appreciate their uh, interest in God and His kingdom. And when it comes down to it, and they have to decide between the one or the other, they have to decide for God. And of course, you know, we know in our world there's a host of different contexts in which that comes. You know, you can have a, a child grow up in a Jewish home, uh, as, a, as a young person uh, be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, believe it, embrace it, and face a serious problem with home and parents. Be even, uh, you know, sometimes I, I send out of the home. You know, there's all those kind of contexts. In the context of healthy, believing families and homes, there should never I don't think there should ever be the, uh, the, the place where someone actually, quote, dishonors their parents, quote, just outright disregards uh, their parents. But we have these two scriptures, and they, they, again, they come, they come from two different angles. They'll speak into different situations at different times. And both of them are right. <laughs> both of them are right. Both of them, there's a time and a place where... These scriptures will speak into a life and, and uh, a person needs to hear what they have to say. <clears throat> the one, and particularly thinking of the words of Jesus there when he says that we need to, to hate father and mother, it does not negate the, re the responsibility of honoring parents. In fact, um, and, and again, there's, there's so many different ways in which we can honor, we can respect, we can... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we uh, 
might not mean that we do just what they want, but we can still honor our parents, even if we feel that God is calling us a, uh, a different path than what our parents took us. And some of us had that, had to make that kind of a decision in our, in our uh, years of, you know, our parents, it's not a secret, our parents would have wanted us to continue in our church setting where we were born and raised. That's not a secret. They would have wanted us to do that. We weren't minded to do that after uh, God was working in our hearts. In our journey, there was a period of time where I dishonored my parents in that whole process. And things got pretty bad in the relationship. But God worked in my heart and there came a day when God showed me how I can communicate honor to my parents. And it was an amazing thing. Um, I don't know if I have time to... Yeah, I'm going to. Um, some of you probably heard this before. This goes back 25 years. I don't know how many years. <clears throat> But yeah, the relationship between my parents was pretty slim, pretty uh, thin because of our decisions that we had made and, uh, and their uh, disappointment and what all. So there came a day and I had, uh, and this was, this was in the early 90s, I had, uh, I had a farm. The farm had two aspects of it. It had a, a, a hog operation and it had a cattle operation. And uh, at that time, at, at charity, I was asked by the ministry to provide some assistance to the ministerial team there. So I had a good bit on my plate. Now remember, my parents did not approve of us visiting or attending charity. But my father, I took, uh, took over the farm from my father, so he understood farming quite well. And he knew everything that that entailed. God put it on my heart one evening to just go and talk to my parents and uh, talk to them about these different things that I've got on my plate and uh, whether he would have any advice for me. Uh, and these were my words to him. I told him. I said, I have the hog aberration. I've got the cattle and the crop farming. And now the, the, uh, the ministry has asked whether I would give some assistance to uh, the ministry team. I was not ordained, was not licensed in any way. It was just kind of a, a thing where the church had agreed, called out three brothers actually for that responsibility. I put that all out on the table with my mom and dad sitting around the table there. And dad was quiet for a bit. And he says to me, well, he says, you know that mom and I don't agree with preaching if you're not ordained. And I said, well, I, I understand that. I understand that, I, and I respect that. I said, we do look at that a bit differently. And uh, so I had, I had just, I'd put out on the table what I have on my plate, and this was his first response. 
And so we had some conversation back and forth about what I should do. Should I hire help? Should I do this? Should I do that as far as uh, taking some of the load? You know, I really wasn't looking for answers. And I'm not sure to this day. Well, yes, I am sure. You know, I was going to say I'm not sure why God prompted me to do that. Um, but it, it communicated something to my parents to sit at their feet and say, do you have advice for me? Even though I knew that they would not agree with this one aspect of life particularly. I, uh, and so we, we had our conversation. I don't remember how long it lasted. And we, I eventually went my way, thanked them for their input. And uh, the next evening, I'm pretty certain it was the very next day, it was within a day or two, I was in the barn feeding the cattle. It was dark. And I see headlights coming in the drive. A vehicle pulls up to the barn, and soon my dad comes walking into the barn. Now, dad hadn't stopped at the farm for quite a while because the relationship between he and I was not that good. Dad had some kind of a catalog in his hand, and I'm just finishing up there, and uh, he's looking over the cattle, makes some comments. I put scoop in the last of the feed, and we talk a little bit, and he opens the catalog. He says, I, I want to buy a standby generator for the house. Starts showing me a couple options. He says, which one do you think I ought to get? Now, that would not have happened, most likely, if I hadn't gone first. See, it was my responsibility to honor my parents, to communicate honor. No, we didn't agree on everything, but I was able to communicate honor to them, and it just opened up the relationship again. I really wasn't planning to say all of that, but anyhow. So, in this subject, you know, as we go through life, God help us to discern correctly and not use any of these scriptures to, to leverage what we're wanting to do in our flesh. But to allow these scriptures, whatever way they need to come at us, to challenge us to, to godliness and responding and doing and, and following God correctly. <clears throat> All right, we need to keep moving. I'll, I'll try to wrap this up real quick here. All right, so then we have uh, the next subject would be to work or not to work. We have, I'll just read a scripture here. Uh, Jesus teaches us, uh, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither, what, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment. And then we have things, uh, a scripture like this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some that are disorderly, uh, working not at all. And they call it disorderly if they're not working. <laughs> uh, and then we have uh, 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if any provide not for his own house... 
for his own, especially they of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And there we have those two scriptures again, uh, coming from opposite perspectives, not contradicting each other, but, you know, depending where we find ourselves in life, they'll speak to us. If we're wrapped up in our work and in our uh, pursuit of success and business and, and prosperity, and that's where our heart is, and that's where these, the, the words of Jesus come and warn us to consider our ways. And if we're just loafing it off and sitting around and not doing anything of any worth, the scripture speaks to us there. Go out and get a job. <laughs> Go do something. Uh, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. All right. So we'll, we'll just keep moving here. Um, we have the scriptures about... Uh, it, yeah, just I'll read two scriptures here. Uh, forgiveness of sins or no more sacrifice for sins. A concept that can be a little disturbing for young people sometimes. First uh, John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take a verse out of Hebrews. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Um, again, two concepts. And sometimes those verses in Hebrews can be pretty unsettling, for, especially for younger believers as they come to uh, grips with uh, walking with God and all those kind of things. And I'm not going to have the time to give a lot of context to that, but we have we have the, again, just think about it. We have the scripture that speaks of forgiveness. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He's there for you. And you have the scripture that warns if we sin willfully. And it's there. It's there for those different individuals or those different moments in life when we are tempted to spurn uh, the grace of God, when we are tempted to, to, uh, to just be careless with life and just live and live it up and do whatever whatever it warns us about that and uh, and then there's that tender conscience that is sensitive to all those little things that disturb it and then the scripture comes along and says he's faithful and just to forgive you he's there for you all right one more uh, I added this one because I we had a little bit of discussion at our house and I heard it was a discussion in one of the ladies' prayer groups. I thought it was good. It's that of a merry heart. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart doeth good like medicine. And it goes on and says, But a broken spirit drieth the bones. And uh, just a few things. There's, there's, they say different things about laughter. Laughter is good for the health, for your health. It, it relaxes your body. It boosts your immune system. It triggers the release of endorf, endorphins, which is the uh, body's feel-good uh, chemicals. It protects the heart. It burns calories. It lightens anger's heavy load. It makes you. It might even help you live longer. <laughs> and they say a lot of things about laughter. But then you have Ecclesiastes. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Again, you're two different perspectives. We need them both. 
let's not park on the sorrow one all the time. I, you know, it does. It does make the, the heart better. Sorrow there, you, you've all been there. You've had those times of sorrow and grief in your heart over a need in your life or whatever it was. And in the, in the end, God worked, uh, as that sorrow worked in your heart, it worked good things. But let's have a few laughs now and then. huh? Some laughter is good uh, for, for you, for your, uh, for your body, for your heart, for your life, for your family, for your relationships. Uh, a good laugh together is, is okay. We have a few of those in brothers' meetings once in a while. It's okay. It's good for us, actually. Uh, kind of uh, relaxes us a little. <clears throat> So, just again, back to Timothy. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Balancing truth with truth, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Scripture was never meant to be used to prop up our belief. Rather, our beliefs need to be challenged by Scripture. And so, I just want to leave that with us again thought after 22 years we could hear that one. God bless all of you and uh, may his word uh, again inspire our hearts to faithfulness. Perhaps we could just bow our heads a moment, pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today for this assembly and each one present. I pray that there could have been something for each person to uh, take home with them, to appreciate, to to grow by, Lord, we, we know that uh, the scripture is intended for that purpose, that we would grow, we would be strengthened, we would, be, uh, we would develop depth in our experience and journey. So we, we just pray, be with us, bless us, give us understanding as we read the word, that we would rightly divide it, that we would rightly apply it, that we would let our heart be challenged by it, and that we wouldn't uh, try to use the word to somehow uh, support what we wanted to say. So, Father, again, thank you. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat>